How many of you ate more than you should have eaten? <laughs> and how many of you had something this year to be especially thankful for? Yeah. So your assignment has changed. Rather than trying to get you all to share in this meeting, I want you to share with one person before you leave church today that for which you are especially thankful for this year. Take some time after the service and just corner somebody or or whatever and say, hey, I am thankful because God has or is what, however you want to fill that in. But take some time to express that, that thanks so that others can join with you in thanking the Lord. Well, we're going to look at Jude 24 and 25 here this morning. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling, to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To the only wise God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forevermore. And you're probably wondering, what in the world translation is he using today? (laughs) I I normally use the New American Standard Version, but uh, all of my memory work is in the King James. And I can't read that one. I have to quote it. And, and so I went back and forth there between the two versions. And I think you'll, you, you got the message anyhow there. Because this is one of the perhaps best known benedictions that we have in Scripture. It's one that we use many times over the years. Uh, it's a remarkable benediction when you think of the theme of the book of Jude. Jude started out with that desire to write about our common salvation, and yet he felt it necessary to contend for the faith. And so he was dealing with apostasy that was creeping into the first century church. He was dealing with false teachers, apostasy that you and I face today. And and so it's a very appropriate book for our time. And, And yet, I think as he brings us his benediction, he accomplishes what he set out to do. He takes us back to that common salvation that God has for us. Last week, we looked at the fact that he encouraged us to remember the word of God. Remember what was spoken to us. And then to remain or to keep ourselves in the love of God by building ourselves up in the faith, by praying on a regular basis for one another, and by reaching out to the lost. That is our responsibility that keeps us in in God's love. And then he, uh, I jumped ahead in that. The third one of, of that was looking, looking for the return of Jesus Christ. And then, then we reach out with that message to those that have never heard, to those that have never made that decision. It's our responsibility to communicate the love of Christ to, to them. And now he closes with a benediction. And it's important for us to, to remember that we are still involved in a spiritual battle. We're not home yet. Uh, do you ever get tired of the struggle sometimes? The, the, uh, the frustration that, that comes at times? Uh, I think as we look at the, the benediction here that he brings, I, I think of Philippians chapter 2. In verse 12, he encourages us to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. We're involved in that battle. We, we have to to live out the principles of the word of God. But then he goes on to say, it is God 
who is at work in us. He's the one that's actually doing the work in us and through us. And we need to be able to rest in his completed work today. He, he will win the battle. God is the victor. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. And as we'll see, he has all power and all authority. What does he say to us in the midst of our struggles? Because in, in all honesty, while we've just gone through Thanksgiving week and we focused on the tremendous blessings that we have and, and how God has blessed us, I think if I asked for a show of hands, we could all raise our hands and say, we're facing a trial or a test or, or circumstances that we just didn't order, and yet God sent them anyhow. And so we're all involved in, in, in the midst of that struggle. What, what is God saying to us? Well, as he closes here, the first thing he reminds us of is Jesus is able to keep us. He begins now to him who is able to keep you from what? from stumbling or from falling there. I find some encouraging words back in the Psalms, in Psalms 37, in verses 23 and 24. He says, The steps of a man are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in his ways. When he falls, he shall not be hurled headlong, because the Lord is the one who holds his hands. If we were honest today we would probably all have to admit we stumble at times. You, you, you ever notice that in your own life? Uh, you know what God wants you to do, and sometimes you just plain don't do it. You, you, you fall a- along the way. Praise the Lord. When that time comes, he is there to pick us up. He holds our hand. He, he picks us up in a sense. He puts us back on the, on the path, and he says, get moving again. It's time to move forward. He doesn't forsake us in those moments when we fall, when we fail him. He, he is there to keep us. The, the word keep that he uses here means to watch carefully in case of an attack. Are we under attack today as a church? Are, are we under attack as the people of God? It's all around us. But praise the Lord, we're not alone in the battle. He's there to keep us. He's watching over us carefully. In the midst of the struggle, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, he says that uh, there's no temptation taken us, but such as is common to man, and God is able to do what? To bring a way of escape into our lives. Even in the face of temptation, he, he's there for us. In, in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, he assures us that he always leads us in victory. We are safe in Christ today. And then I like John chapter 10, verse 28 and 29. Uh, Jesus is speaking here. He said, I have given eternal life to them. They shall never perish, and no one, no one shall snatch them out of my hands. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hands. Jesus has us securely in his hands today. We can rest in that fact. We can rejoice in that fact today. And the end result of that, I think, is found in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, where he says that um, what he has begun in us, he's going to complete. 
He's going to finish that work. What did he begin? The moment you accepted Christ as Savior, he began that work of salvation. Actually, it began long before that, but that's when it became real in our lives. And he is continuing to change us, to transform us, to make us into the image of Christ. And someday, that process is going to be over. We're going to be with him in glory, and we're going to be just as he intended us to be. What he started in your life he is going to complete. The second truth that we have here is Jesus will present us faultless. Now notice what he says in that connection. He says he will present us faultless where? Before the presence of his glory. That's a remarkable truth. I'm amazed as I go over the book of Jude. Jude was a marvel at literary ability here. Tremendous writer able to capture words in a, in a tremendous way. But he also was a gifted theologian as well. We, we sometimes look at somebody, well, he was the half-brother of Jesus, so he didn't have much in the line of education and so forth, but yet I think he knew more than we realized. And he comes with some, some tremendous truths here. And he, he says he's going to present us faultless in the presence of his glory. When Will we be brought into his, the presence of his glory? When will we be blameless, faultless? It's when he calls us home to be with himself in glory. Right now we're in the process, and I trust as, as we walk through life, we're becoming more and more like him. But that process will not be complete until we are in his presence in glory. How can that ever take place? You, you ever look at your life and wonder, how in the world can God do that in my life? I, I remember when I first started college years ago, uh, wrestling with some doubts. We, Our tradition at, at that time, I don't know if they still do it at Latorno College, was about the third week of the semester, we had what they called Spiritual Emphasis Week. And, and every morning for chapel and every evening we had special services uh, geared to meeting the spiritual needs of the, of the students there. And, and I remember the first year, they, this, I don't know who the speaker was, but uh, as he presented what we should be in Christ, I realized I don't measure up to that. And, and I began to wonder, how can I call myself a Christian when I do some of the things that I do? And, and so I, I went and talked with him, and he, he assured me that, hey, we're in a, a process we're growing. We're becoming more like Christ. We're not all that we should be yet, but we're not all that we used to be either. And we thank the Lord for, for that process today. Peter, or Jude, as he uses that word faultless here, uses the same word that Peter used back in 1 Peter 1 verse 19, where he speaks of Christ there. It says, but in verse 18, he says, we're not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ, unblemished, spotless. That's, that's what he says we're going to be when we are with Christ in glory. Until we're home with him, uh, we wrestle with problems. We, we wrestle with temptation and so forth, but uh, we need to remind ourselves on a regular basis. Second Corinthians 5.21 says that uh, he took our sin on his shoulders. He, he made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made what? 
the righteousness of God. He's at work creating that righteousness in our hearts and, and lives. And, and Paul speaks of the same thing in Ephesians chapter 5. He uses the, the picture of a, the church as the bride of Christ there. It says, The day is coming when he will present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and blameless. Praise the Lord. He is at work getting rid of those wrinkles, uh, those spots, those blemishes. He's preparing us for glory today. There's times when we need, as 1 John 1, 7 and 9 said, we, if we sin, we need to confess that sin. We, when we do that, that, then he cleanses us from, from, from that, that sin there. But the ultimate result is in 1 John 3, 2, that the day is coming when we are going to be like Jesus Christ. Why? Because we're going to see him as he is. Uh, as one songwriter captured that thought, they gave us that tremendous hymn, Face to Face with Christ our Savior. What, what a glory that's, that's going to be when we are actually with him. I like the testimony of the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 3. The, the Apostle Paul dared to say, you know what? My great desire in life is to do what? To know Christ. And to know the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering there, being conformed to his death. But then he said, starting in verse 11 of that chapter, he said, I haven't arrived yet. I'm still in the process. Now, if Paul was still in the process, where does that leave us? I think we have to recognize we're in the same process. But he didn't give up on that. He said, you know what? I'm pressing on. I'm becoming what God wants me to be. And I'm looking for the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I'm looking for the day when he's going to call me home to be with himself in glory. And that battle will be over. We will, be, we will see him face to face. We will be like him. And... Uh, Praise the Lord, Jesus is at work in our hearts and in our lives. When our kids were in high school, I don't know how many years ago now, I remember in their youth group, they used to sing a chorus. I don't know who wrote it, I don't know where it came from, but they would not only sing it, they would do the actions with it. Even high school kids like to do those actions. I got a feeling sometimes even adults do. But sometimes we're a little afraid to get carried away, aren't we? I mean, what, what are they going to think if I raise my hands? And, and so forth. But the, the song that they used to sing was, He's Changing Me. And they would pretend they were taking off a shirt and putting on another one and so forth there. But aren't you glad that He's changing you today? Aren't you glad as you look back over the course of your life, you're not the same person you were last year? Has he done something in your heart and in your life this year? Something to, to give him thanks and praise for? He, he's in the process of changing us, and he's going to present us faultless before the presence of his glory. And as we realize all that he is doing in our lives, the third truth that we look at here today is Jesus is one awesome God. I appreciate the, the song that we just sang, I Exalt Thee. He is worthy of our exaltation. He is worthy of of being exalted today because he is an awesome God. Now, I I realize in some circles for a while that term was overworked. But the fact of the matter is he is an awesome God. 
And we can rejoice in, in that fact today in a very real sense. As, as Jude presents him here as a, the only wise God, our Savior, he accomplishes what he set out to do. Remember, he wanted to write about our common salvation. Now he's bringing us back to the fact that we have an awesome God who has made salvation possible for us. And the end result is that uh, someday, John chapter 17, we are going to share in his glory. We're going to enter into that glory that he has with his Father in, in heaven he invites us to have a part in that in John chapter 17, uh, verses 22 through, through 24 there. But think of that for a moment. You and I are going to have the privilege of sharing with Jesus Christ in the glory of the great glory of God. As I think of that, I think of Winston Churchill back in the days of World War II. Winston Churchill had a problem in the land of England. They needed to increase if they were going to continue to survive as a nation they needed to increase the production of coal and so he called the labor leaders together to enlist their support he asked them to picture a great parade through the streets of london at the end of the war he said first would come the sailors who kept the vital sea lanes open then would come the soldiers who had safely returned from dunkirk and other battles and had gone on to defeat the enemy then would come the pilots who had driven off the german air force finally churchill said there would come a long line of sweat-stained, soot-streaked men in miners' caps. Someone in the crowd would ask where they were during the critical days of struggle, and from thousands of mouths would come the answer, we were in the depths of the earth with our faces in the coal. They shared in the glory just as much as those that were on the front lines because it was a necessary work. And today, God calls us into his harvest field, into his work. For each of us, that may be something different. God may take some of you over to Jordan. Uh, I'm sure Trace would be happy to take you with him and, 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 and share you. He may take you to Africa. He may take you anywhere in the world, or he may take you to Chihuahua because there's people there that need the Lord as well. We will share in his glory because we have been involved in the battle in one way or another there. So he presents to us a God who is at work, an awesome God. And he uses four words here to describe just how awesome he is. The first word is that word glory. To the only wise God, our Savior, be what? Be glory. He is the one who is to be glorified today. It's not about us. It's not about what we do. He is the one who is at work in, in the world around us t today. We're just privileged to have a part in that. Uh, the word glory speaks of the, the sum total of all that God is. We get just glimpses of his glory in Scripture. Remember Mount Sinai as the Lord came and, and brought his law to the children of Israel? It was a glorious sight. They, they, were, they marveled at the glory of the Lord there. Matter of fact, it was so glorious that God said, you can't come up on the mountain. Uh, the, he, he restricted the people from coming up lest they die in the process there. Moses said, show me your glory. And remember the Lord said, I can't show you my face at this point in time. If I show you my face, you'll die. But uh, he, he got a glimpse of the Lord as he was departing from Mount Sinai there. Isaiah caught a glimpse of the glory of the Lord, high and lifted up when he was in the temple there. 
And you remember what Isaiah did? Fell flat on his face in recognition of the, the greatness and the glory of God. The, the disciples got a glimpse of it on the Mount of Transfiguration. And I think today the world has an opportunity to see the glory of God. How do they see that? In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, he's, God speaks of the fact there that he is transforming us from glory to glory. He's changing us. We are the, wor- the way in which the world gets a glimpse of God today. We are the, the way that they get a glimpse of the love of God, of the grace of God, of the holiness of God. We are to, to share the glory of God with the world around us today. And as we become more like him, they get a greater glimpse of the glory of God. You come down to chapter 4 of of 2 Corinthians, come down to verse 7 there, and he speaks of the fact that God's placed a tremendous treasure in our lives. That uh, the, the presence of Christ is there through the Spirit of God, and he speaks there of, in a sense, of cracked pots, where we as we're broken before him, he has the opportunity to, to reveal through us just a glimpse of the glory of God to others. What a tremendous privilege that is. We're going to realize it more when we get to eternity and we see the, the, the fullness of his glory, but today we have the privilege of being his instruments of glory to a sin-darkened world. Then he uses the word majesty. That word carries the idea of greatness, of magnificence, What he is saying there in that little phrase, majesty, is he is one great and awesome God. He is worthy of our praise and our worship today. Elsewhere in scripture, we read of the folly of creating idols. You you ever thought of how foolish that is? To take some wood or some metal or gold or whatever it may be and and form a, a statue or whatever out of it and then bow down and worship it after you've made it? We've been made by God himself. We, we have the responsibility to fall down and worship him because he created us. But can you think of worshiping something that you created? Uh, that just doesn't seem right in my way of thinking. And then you, you think of some of the gods that people worship today. They're not a God of grace. They're not a God of love. Now, who would want to worship such a God as that? God in his greatness, or has demonstrated his greatness to us by his goodness, by his grace, by by his mercy toward us. We are privileged to have a personal relationship with that one awesome God. He invites us into his presence, and we can share a relationship with him today. And then he speaks of dominion here. The word dominion speaks of sovereignty now, uh, or his rule over all. The, the Greek word actually conveys an idea of strength, of might, of complete control. God is, or, or Jesus Christ, is, has the dominion over all today. We get a glimpse of that in Colossians 1.17 where he, he's talking about the universe in which we live. And he says, God sustains, or, or Jesus sustains or upholds all things. Uh, you, you ever wonder what would happen to this old world if he took his hands off of it for just a few minutes? Who is it that keeps it spinning? Who is it that 
that's in control of our, our life and circumstances. It's the one who has the dominion over it. It's Jesus Christ himself. We, if we're not careful, we forget that he is the sovereign Lord of lords and king of kings. You ever look at the news and get discouraged? You, you, you ever wrestle with some of the current events that are going on in our nation around the world? Uh, I think it's good for us to remember he has dominion. He is the one in control. And we need to recognize that the powers that be, whether we understand some of their policies or not, they are ordained of God, physically, spiritually as well. We get discouraged if we lose sight of the fact that he is still Lord today, Lord of our lives, and he is there with us today. And then he closes it off by saying not only does he have dominion, but he has authority or power here. He has not only the ability to reign, he has the right to reign. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, Jesus said, All power, all authority is given unto me in heaven and in earth. And with that in mind, he turns to his disciples and says, Now you go into all the world. You take the gospel message into the world not on our authority, but on his. I remember years ago, we were going as missionaries to work with uh, some of the Indian people in Canada. And uh, one lady challenged us one day, what right do you have to take the gospel to the Indian people? They have their own religion. It's a beautiful religion, she said. And uh, she didn't understand the perversity of their religion, uh, uh, she just assumed it was a beautiful religion. But as, as she challenged our, our right to go there, I was reminded of what Jesus said in Matthew 28. All power, all authority is given unto me, you go. And I, I think if you ha- take some time to talk with Trace, he's in Jordan because God said, go. Uh, there's those that would say he shouldn't go. Hey, they have their own religion, but... Uh, That doesn't matter. Jesus Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords, and so we go in his name. And we can rest as we go in his completed work. Today, as we think of what Jude is saying here, I think of what Paul said in in the end of 1 Corinthians 13. He says, today we see through a glass darkly or dimly. We don't fully understand all that God is doing. We don't fully see how he's working in hearts and lives today we don't even fully see what we should be sometimes but yet praise the lord the day is coming when we're going to be face to face with him in glory and in that moment we are going to be like him because we will see him as he is as jude says he is our only god and savior jesus christ and he is the one that we worship today We have hope of a great salvation because of who he is. Isaiah chapter 45, verse 22, Isaiah cries out, Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God, and there is no other. We serve the Lord Almighty. We serve the the King of Kings today. As we think of that, two questions come to mind. First of all, have you recognized him for who he is? Is he actually your savior today? Have you made that decision to 
accept Jesus Christ into your heart and life? And then if you have, are you seeking to live out that great salvation by cooperating with him? By becoming more and more like him? By being willing to say, Lord, whatever it is, whatever you choose, I'm willing to do it. So that somehow the world can get a glimpse of the glory of God through us. Are we living out our lives today to the one that we worship and praise? Are are we giving him the glory that is due his name? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that as we look at this passage of scripture, we are struck with the fact that you are one awesome God. We don't deserve that salvation. It's all of your grace. We don't deserve to be used of you, but you've said, I want you to be my ambassadors. I want you to reflect my glory to a sin-darkened world. Give us the wisdom to do that this week, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And as we do that, let's do it to the glory of God. To God be the glory.